Well, good morning, church. Um, my family lived in Elizabethtown, Kentucky from 2013 to 2017, and it was during that time that I worked with Jay at our previous church, and we quickly became good friends. I always looked up to Jay. I looked up to his leadership. I looked up to how he faithfully preached the Word of God every single week. I love how Jay valued family. And lastly, uh, I valued his hospitality when he would make me steak. So hopefully you guys have experienced some of Jay's good qualities here, especially the steak one. He actually made me one a couple days ago again, so thank you, Jay. Uh, Jay has always been a huge advocate for me. At our previous church where we worked together, uh, the, the pastors were asking him, do you guys think Josh is ready to preach on a Sunday morning? I know he preaches to the students, but you think he can handle it on Sunday morning? And he quickly said, yes, bring Josh in. And Jay's always been advocating for us. He, he is advocating for us now with, with you all, and we are so grateful for him and Brooke and, and for this new partnership that we have with you. Uh, my wife and I wanted to have some good quality conversations with you guys being here this weekend, so we did leave our three kids back in Florida, you parents understand, uh, having a conversation longer than 30 seconds uh, without kids uh, is awesome. So this is our kids. We have Jonah on the left, Emma in the middle, and Roman on the right. So this is my family, and we're, we're missing our kids, but we, we did that on purpose so we can get to know you guys better. We also love that Providence Road highly values God's Word, and it is through this book that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. So let us pray now as we dive into God's word. Father in heaven, we know that you are a God who speaks. We know that you have sent us your word to instruct us, to train us, to encourage us, to remind us of the glorious gospel that has saved us. We ask you now to give us ears to hear and hearts to understand this word. We ask that your spirit would work in our hearts. Please convict us where we need to be convicted, where we are stagnant. Please encourage us where we need to be encouraged, where we need some hope. Father, would your spirit also stir in us a holy discontentment, a discontentment that stems from people around us who don't know you while we have the gospel treasured in our hearts. Change us to be more bold for your kingdom and to be more intentional to spread your gospel. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim Elliott grew up in Portland, Oregon. You can see a picture here on the West Coast. When Jim was in middle school, he would listen to sermons from visiting missionaries who talked about the mission field. He heard about how these missionaries were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and many people were getting saved. So as Jim grew up, he wanted to be a missionary. At age 25, he hugged his parents and said his goodbyes while he boarded a ship from California to Ecuador, South America. He began to rigorously study the Spanish language. He then moved to a small village that was completely different than, than what he was used to. In this small village, he began to learn another language that the locals spoke. During his three years of studying this new language, he and a few other friends 
heard about a people group called the Akas. The Akas were known as murderers who killed any outsider who got close to them. Near the Akas village was an oil company, and the Akas would sometimes go over there and kill those who worked at the company. Jim Elliott knew that these people have never heard of Jesus Christ, and therefore they weren't worshiping Jesus. He was determined to go into this secluded tribe and share the hope of the gospel with them. So Jim plus four other missionaries prayed about it, spoke to their wives and their kids about it, and the next day they agreed that the Akas needed to hear about Jesus, so they were going to go. So they got in their airplane, and they flew to the Akas village. Once they arrived, it took four days till they even saw anybody. After four days, um, a man and two women came out, and everything seemed to go fine. Then they went back into the village, and it took another two days until they saw Akas again. But this next time is a day that no one will forget. Two women came out of the jungle, and the missionaries were there waiting for them to come, and then it happened. The Aka men pounced out of the jungle with spears ready to be wielded. Jim thought about reaching for his gun to protect himself, but Jim and the other missionaries promised each other that they would not defend themselves and send these Akas to hell, when if they died, they would go to heaven. So the missionaries stood there on the beach as the Akas threw these spears with full force, leaving the missionaries dead on the beach. This is a crazy story. It should cause us as Christians to think deeply and ask hard questions. Like, what would make someone want to be a part of something like this? What would make someone at a very young age want to bid farewell to his mom and dad? What would make someone want to spend years learning multiple languages? What would make someone want to live in a hut in a village somewhere in the middle of a jungle? And most importantly, what would make someone want to give up their life for this? And here's the answer. Jesus Christ is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy of, of us giving up the American dream in order to live for him. Jesus Christ is worthy of us giving up our very own lives. After all, Jesus Christ gave up everything he had for us, did he not? Jesus Christ gave up heaven. Jesus Christ gave up being like his father without a body, and he came to earth and took on a body. Jesus Christ gave up the glory of heaven to come to earth and be humiliated by those he created. Jesus Christ was whipped and mocked and tortured, and he died on a Roman cross. Jesus Christ gave up everything so that your sin and my sin could be made clean, so that we can be made righteous before God, so that we can have peace with our Creator, so that we can be adopted into God's family and receive grace and love. This was the message that Jim Elliott wanted to share with the Akas. This is what motivated Jim's missional lifestyle. 
the gospel was his motivation. Now, stories like this inspire us, right? They give us a greater faith to live on mission for Christ. Today's title of the message is Living on Mission. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 28. So please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. This is the passage that is referred to as the Great Commission. You guys hopefully are very familiar with this passage. We're going to read the last five verses in Matthew's gospel. Matthew purposely chose to end his gospel with these verses. He wanted us to know what are the last commands that Jesus Christ gave before he left the earth. Now, raise your hand if you think uh, someone's last words are extremely important. Yes, some of you maybe have been next to a loved one right before they left the earth, and you heard their last words. You won't forget those last words. And now Jesus isn't about to die in our passage, but he is leaving. So these words we must pay very close attention to. Please follow along as I read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The question I would like to ask from this text is this. What does a person living on mission look like? I'm going to point out five key aspects to a missional lifestyle, and the first one is going to be on the screen. Living missionally involves going. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples. Simply put, living missionally involves going somewhere. It doesn't mean that you have to go to the islands of Malaysia but it does mean that you have to go. A Christian living on mission cannot be content living in their room and not speaking with anybody. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a radical extrovert in order to obey this command, but you can't be so introverted that you don't want to be around people. You have to have a, a, a motivation and a commitment to share Christ Jeff Vanderstelt, you can see a quote on screen here, he's a pastor in Seattle. He has said this, evangelism is not just what pastors do. Every follower of Jesus is sent to make disciples where they live, work, learn, and play. That's crucial. Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you learn? And where do you play? These places are our mission fields. In the Czech Republic, I love to play disc golf. I got to play with a few of you guys yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Do you guys know this sport? Raise your hand if you know what disc golf is. It's a very fast-growing sport. You guys should all try it. It's wonderful. Um, well, as a dad of three kids, I don't have much time for hobbies. But when I do have time to go play disc golf, I try to use this time to be around unbelievers. Now, it's pretty easy because in the Czech Republic, everybody is. So I just find somebody and play disc golf. 
And as we go in the city of Schumperk, where I live, we talk, we get to know each other, and I use this time as my hobby where I play to also use it as my mission field. So what is it for you? How can you live on mission where you play, where you work? Do you work out in a gym? The whole time, do you have earbuds in? Or do you take them out so you can meet people that are around you? Where do you buy coffee each day? Do you know the name of the barista that you see three, four times a week? Have you asked that person how he or she is doing? How you can pray for them? I have found in the Czech Republic, as soon as you ask somebody, what is your name? If they're serving you at a restaurant or a coffee shop, and you say, what is your name? That immediately opens up a door, because most people are not interested in their name. They just want the drink or the food. I, I think back on my time when I was a teenager. I was working at a deep dish pizza restaurant in Chicago, where I'm from, and this family came in when I was serving them, and from the beginning, I knew something was different about this family. Uh, they, they first asked me my name. They asked me what I do. They asked me what I'm into, and as we were talking, they, they then said, how, how can we pray for you? We're about to pray for our food, and we'd love to pray for you too. So right there in the restaurant, they just started praying for me. And then in the end, they said, we want to bring you to our church. We would love for you to come with us. And they were, they were really godly people. And at that time, I was already a Christian. But if I wasn't, I probably would have became one because they were awesome people. But are we like this family? When we go to eat, do we think about the people who are serving us? Are we living on mission where we go? Let's look back at verse 19 and see the second aspect of living on mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So number two, living on mission involves making disciples. This is the most important part of missions. The reason we as Christians exist is to glorify God. And what is our mission? It's to glorify God by making disciples. This is the reason why I believe God didn't just pluck us off the earth when we became Christians. He could have just teleported us right off the earth when we confessed our sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, but he didn't. He left us on earth. Why? Now that we love Jesus, why doesn't he just bring us home? We got to ask, what's the one thing that we can do on earth that we won't be doing in heaven? Well, in heaven we'll be eating, in heaven we'll be hanging out, in heaven, we'll be singing. We'll be doing lots of things in the new heavens and new earth with God and with our brothers and sisters. But I'll tell you one thing. We won't be making disciples in heaven. This is why we are here on earth. A true Christian is someone who seeks to make disciples. It's been two years since my family has lived in America, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But when we did live here, I noticed a tendency of Christians to always be at church. You would have youth group or prayer meetings or Bible studies or community group or VBS or this program or that program, and Christians were always around each other and rarely around unbelievers. I was a pastor, and I caught myself in this trap. I had to confess my sin to God of ignoring unbelievers as a pastor. 
You see, the way of Jesus is the way of mission. Jesus was actually nicknamed the friend of sinners. How does someone get a nickname like that? Jesus tells us in Luke 7, 34, the son of man, me, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The religious people of his day hated seeing Jesus hang out with these types of people. Jesus was around thieves and prostitutes and drunkards. He would be invited into their homes. It's because Jesus was on mission to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus was going and Jesus was making disciples. So as a church, let's think, do we need to reorient our friend groups? Do we live in Christian huddles? Is there a neighbor right next door to you that you've never met and you've lived there 10 years? Do you have a coworker that you've never taken out to lunch? Our goal in life should be to make disciples, which starts by being friends with unbelievers. But becoming friends with someone is just the beginning. Friendship isn't going to make someone a Christian. I've been told by multiple people that the one thing that unbelievers need from Christians is love and friendship. Is this true? Can we make disciples simply by hanging out with unbelievers and showing them the love of God? Let me phrase it a little bit differently. Can we love people into heaven? There's an old quote by a Catholic friar in the 12th century that says, Always preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. I would say instead of listening to 12th century Catholic friars, we should listen to God's word in Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. It reads, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So follow the logical progression in this passage. Unbelievers get saved when they call upon Jesus. But they won't call upon Jesus to save them unless they know that, unless they believe in him. But they won't believe in Jesus unless they hear about Jesus. But they won't hear about Jesus unless someone is preaching. There is the point. And lastly, people won't preach unless they're sent. And friends, all of us are sent. It's impossible to love someone into heaven. There's a guy named David in the Czech Republic who I've been playing disc golf with, of course, and also invited him over to our home. We've had fires in our backyard. He opened up about his past, uh, his, his present. Recently, his, his grandpa passed away, and it was really hard for him. Him and his girlfriend have been on and off for a long time, and I got to know him over hours of just listening to him, and he knows that I care about him. 
But the sad truth is he isn't a Christian because I have not clearly shared the gospel with him. I cannot just love David into heaven. My prayer is that I will have boldness and you will have boldness to share Christ with those around us who need a Savior. Nothing we do can win these people into heaven. We must share Christ with them. So who's that person in your life? Maybe you can jot their name down. Maybe God's bringing someone to your heart and you're thinking, I need to share Christ. Why have I waited so long to share Christ with this person? So, number one, living on mission involves going. Number two, involves making disciples. And number three, living on mission involves caring about all nations. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is where the missional lifestyle can be challenging. Jesus told his disciples to spread across the known world, to spread into every nation. Now, in this passage, nation does not just mean geographical nation, but rather it, it means some type of people group within geographical borders, too. For example, in Czech, we have typical white Czech people, and then we have a community of gypsies who are also Czech citizens, but they're a sub-people group within the nation of Czech. They have their own language, they have their own culture, they have their own traditions. They form a different people group, yet they're within the geographical borders of the Czech Republic. If you look on a website called joshuaproject.net, it tells us that there are 17,000 people groups in the world, and 7,000 of which are completely unreached. That means 42% of the people groups in our world have not heard about Jesus. This was the stat that finally woke me up and caused me to ask the tough question, does God want me to move overseas into one of these people groups? Now, of course, I didn't want to move away from my family. I didn't want to learn another language. I'm still working on English. Uh, of course, I was worried about raising kids in a uh, secular, dark environment. But I heard this stat, and I couldn't stop thinking about the 7,000 people groups who will live a life, not know a Christian, die, and go to hell. That stat didn't sit well with me. How does it sit with you guys? By the way, you don't have to move overseas to find unreached peoples. God is bringing them to us now. Just a year ago, many Afghanis have moved to uh, the United States, and they're in our backyards, and they need Jesus Christ. God has brought them here to us. Some of you may study at a university nearby. There are many university students who have never heard about the love of Jesus Christ, and they are five minutes away from you right at the university. Unreached peoples are now right next to us. So if you're living on mission, you are a goer. You are a maker of disciples, and you care about all nations. The fourth thing we see in our passage is that your missional lifestyle will result in new people getting baptized. The Bible says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Many of you in this room have been baptized. If I were to ask you, what is baptism and why is it so important, what would you say? Hopefully, Romans 6 comes to your mind, because Romans 6 tells us that baptism is symbolic of us going into death with Jesus and then coming out of the water alive with Jesus, living a completely new life. So the water symbolizes our old self dying, and Christ coming out of the grave is when we come out of the water, symbolizing we now belong to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We are now his. We have been adopted into his family. The old Josh Ellers is dead. He's no longer alive. He doesn't exist. When I got saved at age 14 years old, my life changed. I started thinking differently, feeling differently, desiring different things, confessing sin more often, changing old habits. I talked differently. Everything about me was changed. I was a new person. The Bible says we are new creatures in Christ. Baptism is the symbol that shows the world I belong to King Jesus. I don't belong to my old religion. I don't belong to my parents. I belong to King Jesus. And this is why many Muslims who are baptized when they trust in Jesus Christ get ousted out of their family because they're pledging allegiance to Jesus. Some of their governments will kick them out of their countries, as we have seen. Baptism is a declaration that we follow Christ. So living on mission involves seeing people get baptized. And the last thing, the fifth and final thing in Matthew 28, 20, is living on mission involves teaching new believers how to follow Christ. It says in our text, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When you're on mission, you're not just content when someone gets baptized and you're like, okay, the job's done, yes, victory. No, that's not it. After baptism, we then teach all that Christ has commanded. Early in my faith, young teenage years, I had a guy in my life who said, okay, Josh, now go teach people about Jesus, and we need you plugged into kids' ministry right away. So I cut my teeth preaching to seven-year-olds, hanging out with kids, talking to them. And by the way, if you can't explain the gospel simply to a kid, you're not going to be able to explain it to an adult. And so as I was sharing uh, Jesus with kids, my faith grew, and I was able to obey the command to teach people about Christ. Who are you teaching? Who are you discipling? Do you have that person? Maybe you serve in kids ministry. Maybe you have someone on campus. Maybe you have someone in your neighborhood. Maybe someone at your workplace. Who are you intentionally teaching the commands of Christ to? And is someone teaching you? Maybe you need to find someone to teach you too. We all need that. So a life lived on mission involves going, making disciples of all nations, baptizing those who trusted in Christ, and then teaching them to obey everything that Christ taught. As you've heard these commands, these imperatives that Jesus has given, I actually hope you feel overwhelmed. I hope you think that's really hard. 
I hope you're thinking, I actually cannot do that. That's a lot of things you're asking, Jesus, you're asking me to do. And the truth is, these tasks would be impossible in and of our own strength. Not even you Enneagram 3s who succeed in everything you do can be able to fulfill this task in and of yourself. And now, we must see where our power comes from. So let's go back to Matthew 28, 18 in the beginning, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 20. Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jump down to 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So where does our ability to fulfill the Great Commission actually come from? It comes from the authority of Jesus who can change hearts. It comes from the power of Jesus who will speak through you. It comes from the presence of Jesus when you're fearful to go and talk to your neighbor. He says, I am with you. It's all about Jesus. He promised to never leave us or forsake us. We cannot, in and of our own strength, go to India and try and reach a tribe that's been worshiping their Hindu gods for the last couple thousand years with our own strength. But through Jesus Christ, we can go. And we can see these people come to know Jesus Christ. We cannot, in and of our own strength, go to our next door neighbor who's an intellectual nominal Catholic who doesn't believe Jesus is the way, the only way to heaven. We cannot go to them and try and convince them that they need to bow the knee to Christ. But with the power and presence of Jesus, we can. I never actually finished the story of Jim Elliott. So after he and four other missionaries, after they died, their wives and children were devastated. But rather than going back to America and give up on the salvation of the Akas, Elizabeth and, his, and, and her daughter Valerie stayed at the mission. It took about two more years until they could build a relationship with the Akas. Elizabeth and Valerie eventually moved into the village and brought many Akas to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Today, the Akas have more missionaries living among them, and they are sa they're a safe tribe that is no longer considered unreached. Jim Elliott is famous for this statement. Some of you have already heard this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. We cannot keep our lives. All of us will die. But he who knows Christ will gain eternal life, and not even death can separate us from Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this quote, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let that sink in. You're either a missionary or you are an imposter. So I want to encourage us this morning, church, let us not be imposters. God is calling us to rethink how we spend our time and who we spend our time with. And my prayer is that when we all die, 
people will say at our funerals that we were so in love with Jesus that we couldn't help but tell everyone around us about who he is. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be a bunch of nobodies who tell everybody about a somebody. And that somebody is our Savior, Jesus Christ. We want the world to know who he is, not who we are. We ask for your forgiveness and our lack of love, first of all, for you. We haven't really, truly loved you, or else we would be spreading your gospel. We also ask for forgiveness for not loving our neighbors as we ought. Some of us are so busy with our own lives that we don't know who our neighbors are. Some of us are consumed by our iPhones that we can eat right across from unbelievers and we never even look at them. Please forgive us, oh God. And then please empower us with your courage, with your boldness. You promised in Acts 1.8 that the Spirit would give us power to make your name known in all the earth. We want that power. We want more of your Spirit. We need your Spirit to help us live bold, intentional lives on mission for Christ. Help us to do it this week and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen.